Welcome to another installment of the Binge Essentials podcast. This is David Rocha, and joining me as always, fresh from the streets of West Baltimore, is Romeo Mora. Romeo, how are you doing? Quarantine. You know how it is. How's West Baltimore? <laughs> Amazing. The reason why we mention West Baltimore is because we will be talking about The Wire. The Wire is an American crime drama created by author and former police reporter David Simon for HBO and ran for five seasons from 2002 to 2008. The series is an intimate example examination of Baltimore, Maryland, and its law enforcement agencies managing the complex issues plaguing the city. During its run, many critics applauded the series' uncommonly accurate exploration of society and politics and its realistic portrayal of urban life. Joining us today to talk about The Wire is our dear friend, former collaborator back when we used to do radio shows. Remember that, Romeo? <laughs> what? What's that again? We said radio shows? It's the T-Ni radio guy himself, Tyler Nyquist. Tyler, how's it going? Oh, you know, just uh, living the dream in quarantine. I like how that rhymes. <laughs> uh, so thanks for uh, having me on. This is, this is be This will be fun. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Usually the way this show works is that we present our potential guests with a list of shows or movies, franchises, whatever, and they usually selected themselves what they want to talk about. Tyler, you chose The Wire. So what inspired you to start watching the show? Well, I first heard of the show after listening to a uh, podcast in which two of the hosts had given the show high praise. This is one of those things where, you know, they're, they're talking about, I think, some of their favorite HBO series. And one that really stood out among all of them was The Wire. After heard about them talking regarding the show, I was like, you know, let me watch the trailer for this thing because I had never really heard of it before. And uh, after I found some YouTube clips at that point, I, I figured I needed to give this show a shot. The Wire seems to be one of those shows that just finds its way on a top five on anyone's all time list or something if they happen to watch it. And I think that was always seemed to be the biggest struggle, I guess you could say, for the show in the later years after its run is just getting people to watch it. But it is one of those shows that when you finally get someone to sit down and watch those first few episodes, they wind up getting hooked. You said that this podcast show, you know, they were talking about their favorite HBO shows and they said The Wire. Do you know what other shows they might have mentioned that um, also caught your attention? How you prioritize The Wire in comparison to those other shows? So the one that they, they had also, you know, made one of their top three, I think it was The Sopranos, which mm-hmm. I've tried watching The Sopranos. I think I made it through the first season but it didn't really hook me as the wire did i'm not sure what it was about it it had compelling acting and stuff and but i don't think i was just as invested in the story as i was uh the wire and just the way the wire addresses you know criminal elements in in, in their storytelling and taking both sides whether it be what's the police department doing versus what the you know crime organization's doing and how those play with each other i didn't really get that in that compelling storytelling from the sopranos at least from the first season um i'm sure it's a good show and I'd like to revisit it at some point but uh, it just didn't grab me as as much as The Wire did. Just to go a little bit more into that, you said it was a story could it have been the characters too? Because I've noticed comparing The Sopranos to The Wire, correct me if I'm wrong it seems like The Wire, they're a little bit more likable characters. Yes. Yeah, they're f- deeply flawed but you can still root for them with The Sopranos, they're completely flawed and you really have to it seems like nitpick 
to sort of find something to root for these people even doing atrocious things. I would say there's a lot more redeemable characters at The Wire, whereas you're not going to really find that in The Sopranos, at least from the episodes that I watched. I, I found it really hard to, they're just not as not as likable. Also point out too is between the two sets of characters, the people or the characters in Sopranos, they put themselves in those situations where a lot of the characters in The Wire, one could argue is they're just dealing with the hand they got dealt with and they're trying to work within those circumstances and trying to get out of those circumstances. Correct me if I'm wrong about that. Characters in The Wire, I'm sure they probably wish you know their lives ended up differently, but as you said, it's kind of like what they've been dealt with and what they're going to do to survive in the world that they're living in and kind of how the show addresses that and why it's so compelling. It's all these problems are, are stemming from societal issues that, you know, in mm-hmm. some cases we, we still face today as a society and it kind of, you know, brings up the issue like, well, what, what do we do with this? How do we prevent stuff like this from occurring in you know places like Baltimore and stuff by looking at the systems? It makes for compelling TV and it also, I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, they, and I'm sure we'll get into it at some point later, but how real they try to make the show and to make sure you know they check themselves and make sure they're not straying too uh, far from would probably be reality. What well, almost turns into like a farm system, right? Because mm-hmm. you have like these kids growing up in these high towers, you know, the towers with these like the projects, these high buildings, uh, apartment complexes, and these very young kids, they're like eight or nine or ten or something like that, and they're and they're recruited for their first job to be like the runners, you know, to go get the drugs and 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 bring it back, you know, and all that. And then when you get a little bit older, like 12, 13, 14, you get upgraded to like working at the corner and and handling money, you know, and then eventually you get your own corner, you manage your own corner, and then eventually you become a lieutenant when you're like an adult, you know, it's actually, it's kind of amazing how it's this farm system that just repeats in, in circular motion almost, you know, like it, it just always works, even though it's, it's something that should never be happening, you know, you would think these uh, older drug dealers like Avon Barksdale and Stringer Bell, they would want better for these kids, for this community. But no, their version of what's better for these kids is like buying them some clothes or giving them a job working for them, <laughs> you know, which is yeah. not the lifestyle that you should be wanting for these kids. That's what they do. They just make things worse. And and down this the series down the road with Marlo Sanfield, there's a scene when he walks up or no, it's not even him. It's it's one of his lieutenants walks up to the kids and said, you got school starting up next week? And they're like, yeah, here's some money courtesy of Marlo. Go buy yourself some new clothes. We can't have you walking around looking like trash, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of like, yeah. what kind of example is that to set? Because he's doing that to lay the foundation that he will be recruiting these kids to work for him down the road. You know, he's looking for loyalty. And that mm-hmm. is just like, it's so despicable, man. It's it's yeah. it's amazing to watch. It, it really is. And also follow up to earlier saying that to play into the side of the cops is that they are more likable, even though they can skew on the side of crooked sometimes. And the reason is because I think at the end of the day, the the majority of the cops that we follow are just trying to be good cops. They're just trying to keep people safe. They're just trying to get the job done, which in some way mirrors real life. They don't they don't push the boundaries too much most of the time, because in real life, there's some things that happens with some police departments that are just absolutely despicable. The cover ups are just astronomically terrible. And it does make it hard from my perspective to root for the policemen in those situations to feel sorry for them or to understand their perspectives because I just think like, well, you, you should have spoke up. And there's times in The Wire where there's just little things where it's just like, okay, that was bad, but it wasn't potentially ruining lives, you know? And and, and yeah. as we talk about more of the show later, there's some things that 
that are done that you're like, okay, maybe you should have rethink what you, what you just did there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And David, if I could, uh, to add on to your point as for the, the farming system for this, uh, the criminal organizations and stuff, it's not even just what these people, who they run into on, on the street and stuff. Sometimes it's perpetuated by their family. And yes. you know, what comes to mind with, with Namond, you know, he just kind of wants, you know, to be a kid and yet he's got his mother pressuring him to, you know, you need to start selling drugs on the corner like your father did. You yeah, need to you need make to this a- family some money. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's it, it flips it. They don't have a chance at all when, you know, you have characters such as Naaman's mother and then stuff and, you know, how many others are, are being subjected to the same sort of uh, treatment at home. And the uh, the status that she holds his dad, Weebe, you know, like he is a man, you know, he sacrificed everything for this family and this organization and you should be looking up to him and you should be wanting to be just like him and it's like oh my god this is crazy and you're i think yeah. you're absolutely right like th- that is a real thing you know that is a real thing that some parents would put on their kids thinking that this is what's necessary for us to survive in this world and it's like you should always want better for your kids you shouldn't be wanting your kids to work for you that was a tough watch for me all of it season five you know i really felt for those kids <laughs> yeah. as an older person yeah. I, when i rewatched it i felt for it being in my 30s now and seeing it when i first watched it in my 20s i felt bad but i didn't feel as bad <laughs> the, my first watch as i did in my second watch i guess it's just the uh the older <laughs> version of me getting more sympathetic <laughs> i was gonna move on to um our next question every good show lives or dies by a pilot so what was it about the first episode of the series that got you hooked what stood out to me was the character interactions with one another in comparison mm-hmm. to other crime shows that i've seen over the years you know in most shows you have your clear-cut good guys that end up solving a crime in one episode such as what comes to the top of my mind is like, you know, an episode of Hawaii Five-0 or, you know, Criminal Minds or something mm-hmm. like that. Or they chase down the bad guys in a dramatic fashion. I'd seen other police dramas that had come out after this, but none of them really had the success as The Wire. Uh, mm-hmm. It seemed like they were, it was like shows that tried to like mimic or do something close to The Wire and, and work off of that, but it just never, never held up. I know the show definitely isn't your classic buddy cop show. It's very serious, but at the same time, surprisingly funny. For instance, uh, one of my favorite parts of the pilot is when McNulty and, and Bunk or having a drink by the tracks and Bunk describes a scene where he was at home and he decided to take out a mouse with a service pistol but not before blowing a hole through his wife's shoe first and then not a minute later the detectives <laughs> are, are getting into their vehicles clearly intoxicated and they drive home which is clearly mm-hmm. against the trope of the heroic cop that catches the criminal and after watching the pilot the audience has a clear understanding that the system of Baltimore police uh, is very flawed with officers you know sometimes begrudgingly making their way to a crime scene. That is very true. Yeah there's a comment on that because every remember what was it several times in the series where they're trying to avoid catching a case because they knew that certain cases would take forever to close and you sort of feel the pressure from city hall to make sure that you get those crime numbers down well imagine being that guy who captures like a triple homicide or something that you (laughs) you have to solve you know and Mm -hmm. that's a lot pressure and stress because as the show likes to play it's not like oh let's give this to the best detective it's more like who's the next man up it's you okay you got the triple homicide all right who's next okay you you get the the homicide uh here here's some leads yeah it, it, it's all really the luck of the draw and uh, uh, another thing to note about keeping those crime statistics down at the same time is that these detectives feel very undervalued they feel
feel underpaid. They feel overworked. You know, we see that stressed a lot. Also describes the scene that Tyler's talking about when they're out drinking by the tracks. They don't, they're not doing it because it's fun. They're doing it because they're stressed out, man. Uh-huh. They're stressed out. They don't want to be around anybody. They, they just want to be somewhere alone where they can say whatever they want and do whatever they want and not be judged for it because the job just has taken its toll on them, you know? Yeah. And for me, like the realistic thing about this too is the resources that they have. Well, I think the show premiered early 2000s yeah, where if, if you look at similar shows at the same time, they all have computers. They all have the state of the art gadgets here. They're typing up reports on typewriters. <laughs> yeah. That's the funny thing about the pilot. And, and it goes to show the realism of police work because not everyone is going to be like CSI or law and order that has a cyber crimes unit that can they can break down a hard drive and figure out the timestamps of this one email. You have a system where it's underfunded and you have a heavy there's heavy crime in this situation that you're policing and it's sort of mitigating those two things and sort of working within the system which I find at the time it's still refreshing because I think when you look at a lot of crime shows I think it puts this unrealistic perception in the public's mind saying that how hard are crimes to solve they do it in an hour on law and order real police work should be the same where in reality I think The Wire is still the most realistic portrayal on solving a crime so Tyler when you watch the pilot did you go in knowing that it wasn't going to be a procedural I knew it was going to be something that was like drawn out uh, you know it's going to be you know serialized you, you have to watch it from you know the start to end and, and if you don't if you miss an episode in between you're kind of <laughs> screwed in that regard I didn't expect it to be as as deep in, in involving you know like the dialogue and hey, how certain things are, are said when they're really unsaid and, and how important just simple interactions with characters are have a, have a heavy you know impact on and, and the storytelling in that regard I didn't realize you know it's going to be one of those shows where you really you, this isn't a show where you know you can mindlessly have on in the background you have to sit down watch it and try to get every little bit of information that's thrown at you so that way you can make sense of what's going on it's a good show if you want to be challenged in, in regards to following the intricate plot that they're thrown at you it's, it's one of those shows where you can't just mindlessly have on in the background yeah and it does have a lot of exposition too like they really do thoroughly explain how like the wiretaps work or in season two how the computer system works of, of following the trucks you know like like mm-hmm. everything is very thoroughly explained, especially by Alyssa Freeman because he's the one who's so interested in all of it and by Presbaluski. I like how you're saying that it is challenging the viewers at the same time it's also giving them all the information so that they don't have to try to figure it out for themselves which I think is important for a show like this because I think people probably think like this could be an intimidating show to watch but it actually I think most people can watch it understand it and really enjoy it because of the excessive exposition and the surprisingly likable characters on both sides it really is a one of a kind type of show and one more thing I want to point out is is as we talked about the typewriters I also got to mention the beepers (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) because beepers are definitely a thing and me and Romeo were actually talking about this before we called you I was saying like people know what beepers are right like people in their 20s know what they are I know I know they're not necessarily used now unless you're a drug dealer still <laughs> but or a doctor or a doctor yeah but I, I still want to feel like people know what a beeper is it's not like a floppy disk if I show someone a floppy disk someone in their early 20s they probably don't know what it is but if I show them a beeper they might know what it is I maybe I'm wrong about that maybe I'm too optimistic about that assessment. am I too optimistic yes you are <laughs> yeah, did you guys like, know anyone it, with beepers because I sure didn't 
<laughs> no, no, I've never kn- known anybody with, with a page or anything like that. But I think I've seen in other forms of media and stuff in, in other movies where they're they're utilized. But I don't think I've actually seen one in real life. You know, my, <laughs> I, my, my sister got one because they were popular back in the day. So mm-hmm. she got a beeper for Christmas one year. I think we still have it somewhere in my house. Oh, on so, a level of one to ten, how excited was she was that she got a beeper for Christmas? Oh, yeah. She was in middle school. Like, it was like the best thing ever. So a ten. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because... That's amazing. Because you would like tech, you would do like lead speak with it and you would beep each other messages. No, but you're right. At the time, though, that was pretty cool. And that's another thing to point out of the show. It came out again, 2002 to 2008. This is like the height, the evolution of personal technology, you know, right. where you had beepers. But in a matter of years, everyone had flip phones by 2006, yeah. 2008. Yeah. And you see it happen in the show as well. They These drug dealers, they start out with beepers and, and they're using pay phones and then they wind up using cell phones you know the burners and so it's really cool to see the evolution of that in this series at what point did you decide that you were in the long haul because the series lasted for five seasons so i guess the way i kind of view this question is it's one of those things where i I didn't want to pay for you know an amazon price that it comes to watching a show like the wire on that you can't really stream it i think at first i thought you'd be able to stream it if you had an amazon prime uh, subscription but i think you have to pay you know an extra five bucks or something i've heard so uh, many good things about it. I'm just going to go ahead and get the box set and that way I have it. I don't have to you know, keep paying for all these different to, to watch it. So at that point, I think once I made the purchase of it, I, I figured, you know, I'm in it for the long haul. Right. And, and just asking the uh, going over the YouTube videos and stuff and how people enjoy it. I think at that point, that's that's when I was invested. But I'm just thinking, what if after two seasons you hated that Chanel, you own them forever? That's commitment. I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you yeah, it is. I guess it might be one of those things where at that point you just throw it out in the back like, like I found somebody's uh, somebody kind of going off topic here about a month ago somebody threw out the first four seasons of the mash or in our <gasps> in our trash back to one of the best comedies of all time Mash had not been open still had the plastic on it and I found it sitting out there and yeah I've got seasons one through four and eight I don't I don't have anything else though so I don't know if somebody else in between seasons I guess I don't don't know it was weird yeah I guess at that point I think I would just do that I I was happy with my purchase and (laughs) and uh, you know just kept through with the wire I'm actually my parents are watching it right now so that was a, a perk of having having the box set just letting them borrow it and i think my cousin's gonna want to borrow it too after they're done cool so uh have your parents talked to you about the show at all a little bit i think last i heard they had just finished season one and they're they're getting into season two i know my, my parents are funny i know they're like well the subject matter is not the best but you know it's it's compelling and they're like yeah yep, yep <laughs> that, that's how it is <laughs> are your parents um, bingers by chance do they do they watch one episode after another they might do two or three uh, a night or something like that oh, but okay. No, that, when I think binging, I, I'm thinking of like five plus. That's, yeah, um, that's what we think, right? You know, that's what we're yeah, used to. Yeah. Which, yeah. Let, let me add this follow up. Do you think this show works binging like a couple of episodes at a time? Or do you think it should be spaced out even more to really enjoy it uh, and really digest what's going on? Well, the way I watched it, I, I never really binge watched The Wire. I think I spaced it out over about a month's period uh-huh. or a month and a half. You know, I'd watch maybe two to three episodes a day and I thought that was pretty good and, and you know gave me enough time to kind of digest what was going on I don't know if it's just me with procedural dramas but you know sometimes it kind of wear on you after a while right no, I agree it, it is a very different
dense, very demanding show. Uh, I remember when I watched the pilot that I needed a week before I even started the second episode because I really wasn't sure what I was processing at first. It really took me that long to fully understand like, oh, okay. And then, and then I was able to keep going. But even when I was trying to watch the series, you watch one episode and you tell yourself, I think I'm good for the night because they're they're legitimately hour long episodes. There's so much that can happen in each one. No, I, I totally understand what you're talking about saying that you kind of had a space to yourself out for a little bit. It took me more than a year to actually finish the series because when I finished the season, I, I wanted to give myself a little bit of a break. I want to jump back um, to the question for you, David. At what point in the series did you're like, okay, you're going to follow the show no matter how long it goes? I mean, season one, when they have one of the characters, Orlando, and Orlando is one of the biggest dumbasses in the entire series. <laughs> when when, uh, when they're putting in the sting and Greg's is in on the sting and something bad happens to her and you're and there's all these cops who are moving in and they're trying to locate her and they're having a hard time locating her because it's a common thing in those areas to flip the street signs around to throw off the police and it was just very tense very high pressured situation you don't know what's going to happen by the end of it yeah it was a crazy episode and I'm just thinking like and that's off of just like a cop getting shot that's what they can give you off of a cop just being shot nine episodes in to pull you in at the edge of your seat then I gotta see how the rest of this is going to end right <laughs> and, and, and really reminded you like oh by the way these characters that you like any one of them could die at any time if they're put in a very very dangerous situation and it's pretty rare when the cops are actually put in very very dangerous mm-hmm. situations or the gangster side where that happens a lot it's still always in the back of your mind the original Game of Thrones any one of your favorites can go at any time I know absolutely I mean this show was the show that people said oh your favorite character is going to die <laughs> you know right? don't like him too much <laughs> yeah yeah this was the show that was like that before Game of Thrones I want to talk about some of the um, high points of the series what are moments or storylines that really stick with you that it was like one of the best things you've ever seen on television probably I mean to think of a few um, a high point for me was when uh, you know Omar testifying against a, a character named Bird he's answering a line of questions from the defense attorney uh, Maurice Levy and in order to uh, draw doubts on Omar's credibility Levy points out that Omar has been arrested in countless times himself and robs drug dealers and Levy says that Omar is one who feeds off of those in despair from the drug trade but that's when Omar throws it back at him saying that hey I've got the shotgun you've got the briefcase it's all in the game right and it's kind of like one of those like badass moments where it's like oh yeah you mean what he says it's totally true and depending on you know how, how you look at things that moment for me stands out and also you know the demise of, of Stringer Bell and the Avon Barksdale organization you know spoiler alert uh, you know what happens in, in season three and all that there's I think episode season one where old uh, crime scene investigation it's being relooked at and the only word spoken in the in the whole uh, scene is pretty much just the, the, the F word as they're describing you know <laughs> how they're feeling and how certain things were missed and it's just like I, I, I've never seen that in, in a show but it was super compelling and it was funny as hell at the same time yeah well that's one of the best scenes I've ever seen in television <laughs> yeah, right so I 
It's a masterclass on finding different ways to say one word. Even though they're just repeating that one word over and over again, it has a different connotation. Like you're still having a conversation, just not one word. It's amazing. Probably one of the best acted scenes I've probably seen in a while. I want to say like that's a scene that you would want to show in acting class. You're not wrong because in a sense, there is exercises where you're only allowed to say one word and find different connotations of how to say that one word to express a different emotion or meaning behind it. That's what a lot of acting, beginning acting students do. And that specific scene that you mentioned, Tyler, is, and maybe you can, you've seen this, David, it takes a good actor to make that work. And a lot of times you fail at it because you're putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong word and it changes the meaning as not what you want to come across in the scene. What Credit about- to the great Wendell Pierce. Right, as he's so good. <laughs> He's, he's so good. And Dominic West as McNulty. Uh, the two of them together are some of the best buddy cop moments of the show. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they're a lot um, of fun. Go back to the court scene with Omar. Uh, Omar's just a great character. Uh, that's another thing about The Wire is that anytime anyone watches it, Omar is immediately a lot of people's favorite character. Mm-hmm. Like he'll always make someone's top 10 or top five as like anti-heroes or, or villains or whatever because he's just so, so good. And another great actor as well, Michael K. Williams, who really like that scar across his face is a real scar that he got when he was younger. And in that court scene, there's a, another question that was asked uh, by the other lawyer saying, how does someone who robs drug dealers for, I want to say it was like nine years, manage to survive for this long? And his answer, he just kind of shrugs and leans back and is like, day at a time, I suppose. And it's just like, <laughs> what, a, what a perfect response to a question like that. Because it is true. It's just like, I'm just as surprised I'm alive as you are. <laughs> like, I just take yeah. it one day at a time you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy uh, because a lot of these characters are based off of real people. And the same with Omar. Now, there isn't a person who robbed drug dealers as notorious as this character for doing as long as he did. I think he only did it for maybe a few months or something like that. But or there was a real person like this. And Omar adding their own little spin to it on the series, I always really liked it because you think, oh, someone like this doesn't really exist. And then when you do research on these characters, you're like, oh, they did exist. Maybe yeah. for not as long or as not notoriously, but someone was crazy enough to rob drug dealers. And, and it may not have been one one person individual, but I know uh, like uh, and I think Omar's character in particular, I think he's kind of like a mesh of, of six different people that, you know, it, it may not have all been based on one person that was heavily based on the d- bit of years in, in prison because of what he had done and pretty much making a living as the guy that robs drug dealers in, in that regard and in, in using, you know, real people and sometimes the actual person themselves that you know has background in the game portraying them as a character and, and using them as one of the actors Felicia Pearson who plays Snoop I know she's someone that you know has experience you know living on the streets of Baltimore and stuff and getting caught up in the game and then using her skills you know to kind of portray that in her character as Snoop someone who actually went to jail for <laughs> a number it was of murder years. wasn't it yeah it was second degree murder from her childhood David Simon met her and was just like I need to find a way to get her on the show <laughs> And she plays a character who is just a cold-blooded sociopath. Like, this person is no remorse, willing to kill. She's crazy. And she's lucky that she has Chris, her partner, with her around. If not, she would just do something completely reckless and ruin everything. Chris is definitely the more steady hand between the two of them. And even Chris has to pull back Marlo sometimes. And then so kind of tying into that, seeing those two in action, Chris and and, and Snow, 
Snoop. I think there's some good high points to get out of that. Just seeing them, how they operate, how they basically come out of the shadows and they'll just take care of any problem that needs to be solved. The shootout with Omar, I think, is just a really cool high octane moment because something about the wire is it's all very bang bang nothing is ever crazy you know what i mean like uh some characters simply die in the series by someone else walking right up behind them and shooting them in the head and that's the end of it yeah you know very unceremoniously the the way some of these people exit the show and as you said like you don't have the crazy shootouts there are shootouts but they never last more than 15 to 20 seconds you know what i'm saying yeah yeah and it wasn't uh, until this shootout with chris partlow Uh, Snoop uh, against Omar, it actually felt choreographed. You know, it actually felt like they wanted to make sure this scene was done right. There's been so much buildup leading up to this scene. Yeah, that was a crazy moment. And and they had them. And, and you got to watch the series to know how it ends. But it's like, it's crazy. Like those two were scary efficient, man. And Marlo, Marlo is just, you think Avon and Stringer were ruthless. Marlo was just next level. I think uh, one of the detectives even called him, uh, was it the devil reincarnate? I believe when we first learned about who Marlo was in uh, season three, I believe. And yeah, man, the things like that guy doesn't back down from anybody. He doesn't care who you are. Oh, you're a policeman. He doesn't care. It really doesn't matter him. You're in his way or you throw his name out. You drag his name through the mud. He's coming for you. And to go off of that, it's like once you come across Marlo Stanfield's character in the story, you really miss the the Barksdale organization to a point in in, in how they operated. And uh, and I think that's also portrayed in one of the episodes. I can't remember what season or what episode is, but I know there's a conversation that takes place between Bodie and Slim Charles and they're mm. talking about the good old days and how the good old days you know used to run and and when they were working for for Avon and Slim pretty much says hey the thing about the old days is that they're the old days and you got to kind of get that through your head when working with these people yeah Slim Charles who was he's almost kind of like a historian of the street life you know yeah <laughs> he like he respects the game so much and then uh yeah at one point starts working for Proposition Joe because Proposition Joe himself is so old school that Slim Charles I think just kind of respects that a lot. It just made sense that he would want to work for that organization. That's the other thing, like the trajectory for a lot of these characters just makes absolute sense. You can't say enough good things about the writing that this show. Is there one episode outside the pilot you would show someone to get them interested in The Wire? Like take for me example, what episode would you show me that I would hands down say, okay, I'm on board for all five seasons. I'm a little torn on it. I probably, and I think David has already brought up uh, the episode in particular. I think it's uh, it's the cost where Kima is shot when going undercover and, and, and that how that whole plays out and the, the build up to it and you know how tense it gets is definitely one of those high points where like I'd, I'd like to, that would definitely get probably get somebody hooked. But at the same time, it kind of goes against a lot of what the show's about in a way where it's not super tense all the time. You know, it's very procedural and it's uh, a, a lot of the show is building up to those tense moments. That episode in particular, though, I, I, I feel like that would be a great uh, episode to show somebody. Yeah. yeah, And I think it's definitely one of those series where um, if you're interested in like working class and unions and stuff like that, maybe even stemming out to season two and showing them an episode of that might see if they mm-hmm. would be interested in, in, in the series as a whole, even though season two can kind of feel a little more isolated from the rest of the series. But if someone's interested in journalism, they might want to check out season five first. If someone's interested in politics, they want to check out season four and especially the um, school system as well. If, uh, and I might be wrong on the politics that started in season three, didn't it? Yeah, you, I believe yeah. it was 
three. Yes. Yes. Just learning all, all, all of that. Not, not just from like the mayoral side of things, but the police commissioner side of things. So how, what they have to deal with the mayor and, and all the departments is it's nuts. Like the characters you learn about Burrell, Rawls, how these two backstab each other a little bit sometimes. And you know, the, these position moves are always trying to make in order to, to one up each other and, and get set themselves up for success down the road beyond the favor of the mayor. It's good side is just the hustle is real, not just in the drug life, but in the political life, in the police department, even Education in the school system. system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then it brings up a valid point because each season, it seems like they're building up the Baltimore ecosystem, which is kind of shows you that not one of these sectors are kind of isolated. They all blend in together. One yeah. feeds off the other, which I think sometimes you sort of forget when you're watching a TV show, say just about the healthcare system or just about the education system that I think this show does a really good job that these institutions don't stand up by themselves. They play into other institutions within this big ecosystem that is Baltimore. To add on to that, since these systems are so intertwined, that's what makes solving the issue of the war on drugs and trying to tackle this farming system that we discussed earlier in in the show. It's not simple to solve these issues. And I think that one of the things that I really admire about the show as well, it never really offers a solution either. It kind of just poses the problem and you as the viewer, you know, you kind of think about, you know, how society should address these things when it comes to crime and and the drug trade. Yeah, it's definitely complex and and everything. All the seasons do a beautiful job of intertwining those and how they interact with one another. Yeah, you raise a really good point there because it doesn't really have the answers. You know, I think some TV shows try to have answers. They think, oh, if we do it this way, this is how problems will be solved. Well, yeah, in The Wire, it's like you can try to solve these problems, but they're just going to resurface again later. Or cause new ones. You think you can get rid of one drug kingpin, but another one will rise. And we see that happen in the series. Avon out of the way, Marlo rises. You could try to remove Marlo, but someone else is just going to wind up rising. You think Omar would be out of the picture that would solve someone trying to rob drug dealers? No, another one will just think he can do it. You think you can get rid of all the crooked cops, but guess what? There will just be more crooked cops later. That's yeah. just how it goes, you know? And that's just, and, and I commend the show mayoral representation that they try to do here with Carcetti because Carcetti really does try to be straight laced by the book. Even he is just pushed to the brink and even he has to compromise what he wants to do because he needs favors down the road. And it's like, that's real, man. I mean, people want to say every politician is corrupt. Yeah, that's kind of true. But that's because there's so much give and take that it's almost impossible to not be compromised. You may very well be right. And especially, you know, the way they portray that race and even after going into season five and, and once he's in office and stuff like that it just as you said he wants to do this but all of a sudden now he's got to defund some department to help another and it's like well shoot there goes my ratings because I told him I do the exact opposite or something like that but yeah it's it's like one of those things where you got to give or take I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine but it seems like generally you kind of get the, the bad end of the deal at the end of the day all right so were there moments when you're starting to have your doubts about the series or in Tyler's case, buyer's remorse. The only thing that really stood out to me that I was like, okay, this is a little fishy was uh, probably in season five when they, they're thinking in order to uh, bring back uh, sort of funding to the department. I think a, a character goes around a tampering with evidence to make it look like there was a serial killer on the loose. I thought, although it was, it was compelling 
it was an idea that I didn't really think they'd be addressing. I, I thought it was a little outlandish for my taste. Yeah, at that point, that was the only thing I really out to me that I was like, okay, I don't know about this. Well, Lesser had to turn into like a surgeon in terms of messing with the police tapping wire system or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, I agree with you. Like they really stretch these characters thin. <laughs> yeah. He's already established characters four seasons in. Like you could always believe that McNulty, I guess, would do something this stupid. But to drag Lester into it, they gave him a motive as a reason why he would do it. But it, it still felt, even for him, I was like, uh, yeah, even I was just kind of cringing a little bit. The newspaper side I thought was really interesting. Mirroring uh, Stephen Glass is basically what the newspaper uh, storyline w- was going through there. That whole side was, was very interesting. But the policeman arc in that season, I agree was a little too much because they, they set you up for something really cool and really interesting with the bodies being found in the, the empty homes. For that to be the result in season five, I was like, oh, oh man. <laughs> Do you think they could have come to the same conclusion if they had tried to go a different route to that and made the last season the full 13 instead of the 10 episodes that they gave the audience? Because that was one thing I also was a little bummed on that the fifth season, instead of it being like all the other ones where I think we, there was you know, 13 hours of content, it was only 10. Yeah, I agree. I hate it when they shortchange us like that. I think if they stretch it out to 13, they maybe could have came up with a better idea. I also think that the show really missed Ed Burns because he actually departed in that final season. You know, he's David Simon's writing partner, producing partner. You have this brain trust between the two of them coming up with these great ideas. And when once one person is missing between the two of them, it's fair to think that the ideas aren't going to come out as strongly. And, and I think it showed. It almost felt like he had an opportunity to be like, Ed's not around, so I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't quite. It didn't quite work out. Yeah, there wasn't the, the that checks and balance system probably they had going between them. So, say if someone doesn't want to commit to the entire series, do you have a recommendation for a viewing order with the experience? Is there episodes or seasons someone could skip? Definitely give the least season one a try. I, I would not recommend watching any of the seasons out of order, especially not skipping entire seasons. Even if I did feel that like you know season five was the weakest out of the five. I know I think a lot of people didn't care for season two and how they changed it up from the first season. But in general, I, I, I enjoyed season two and I feel like it's still one of those seasons where you really needed to understand kind of like uh, where certain organizations are getting their, their supply and all that. Um, yeah, it's one of those shows where you really if you're going to follow the enjoy the show to its full potential, you, you have to watch one through five. I wouldn't skip it or go out of order if that's the case. I, mean, I know there's talks about different seasons focus on different elements such as season four and, and uh, you know, public education system. If that's something that interests you, I kind of feel like kind of enjoy the time leading up to that moment and then enjoying that season and how, how it is. Yeah, well, I think you're right. I think there's a there might be a little misconception out there that each season they're focusing on a different side of Baltimore and not focusing on the side we just learned about, which that, that is actually not true. They're just adding more to Baltimore per season. You're still meeting the same characters that you met in the previous seasons. So there is incentive to watch all the seasons in that way. The only counter I can make if you don't want to watch all five seasons is you watch seasons one through three because those are the seasons that focus on the Barksdale organization before shifting to the Marlowe Stanfield organization for the remainder of the series. That's the only thing I could suggest. If you and if you're just like, I'm going to watch four and five because I'm not interested in the Barksdale organization. Well, 
then you kind of miss out on how Marlowe set himself up to be in position for the remainder of the series. That all happens in season three. And I think that's an important viewing experience. So yeah, just for me, yeah. the only thing I could say is one through three. You'll you'll miss conclusions of, of certain story arcs and how they began, such as a character that always comes to my mind is Bubbles and how his struggle progresses and resolves by the end of the series. Oh, um, how can we not for- talk about Bubbles, man? Like he is yeah. seriously one of the best television characters this century. It is just such a heartbreaking yet triumphant story. And you should also mention too like a lot of the exposition you talked about earlier on the podcast, like especially say for example for wiretapping, that gets all covered in season one and you don't go back to it because, correct me if I'm wrong, the creators expect you to remember everything that happened in season one about wiretapping and they're not going to repeat the information saying season two and on. Yeah, and I I think it's like once they, for example, season two and David, correct me if I'm wrong, but like they don't actually get a a wiretap up in season two until like episode seven or eight and it's just up they've already covered how it, the process goes in, in season one so they're not going to rehash that and uh, take up a multiple hours of our viewing time to re uh, address how they're going to be setting it up there's even a like musical montage within an episode to kind of speed time up a little bit because it, we already kind of been through the experience of them listening and gathering information and in season two they're like well you've been through it so we're just going to fast forward a little bit we're going to like mm-hmm. jump a few weeks that's something I think that might have been the only time they even did that within the season where they did a few week time jump. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they don't get it until later in the season. And by that point, it's like, well, you know what it is. So we're not going <laughs> to waste time explaining it to you again. So the answer is no, you can't. OK, well, are, I said one through three. I did say one through, one three. through three. Three. Yeah. Like So, so there, there's not necessarily a good mid jumping on point. But there, if you want to stop, there's a good closure, say, in season three, correct? For one arc, yes. It's not perfect. I'll say that much. But okay. if you feel yourself getting worn out by the series, then just stop at season three. <laughs> there you go. So do you recommend any other materials that can enrich the show's viewing experience? If so, what do you recommend? Well, other than you know, a few YouTube videos that I you know stumbled upon online, um, I didn't really consume any other media going into the series or following it off. Part of the box that I had had some like special features and some mini short clips clips about the origins of certain characters. That was about it. I didn't find them enriching to where it really added to the experience, but I, I know there's there's stuff out there. Did you happen to read any of the, uh, the books that the creator put out there or other material that's been written about The Wire? No, I haven't. There is the book by, was it Rafael Alvarez who was one of the writers called The Wire Truth Be Told. That, I guess, is a good uh, behind-the-scenes look. It's an Edgar Award-nominated book. has some good reviews. If people are interested in learning more about the show, they can give that book a shot. The other thing to note is, I I mentioned Felicia Pearson's book earlier. The reason why the book exists, which is called Grace After Midnight, is because she got kind of tired of telling her story to people. So she had this book written so that people can buy it and read it and, and learn about her background. And uh, it's it's interesting. And she actually just, I want to say she just recently had more legal trouble within the last uh-huh. couple of years. And I don't remember exactly what it was. It wasn't murder. It was <laughs> possession. It, but, uh, she's not one of the actors who wound up having some great career post The Wire. Uh, quite a few have, though. Uh, most notably Idris Elba. His face is everywhere. Dominic West was in 300. That's actually where I 
first saw Dominic West was in 300. Michael B. Jordan, who played Wallace in season one. He was a preteen or 14 years old around there. One of the most iconic lines of the series, Where's Wallace? Said by uh, D'Angelo Barksdale, who is another character that just has a uh, pretty tragic story arc. Wendell Pierce is is a big name. There's just a few actors whose faces you just recognize. Yeah, um, you have um, Lance Reddick. And of course, um, Seth Gillum um, from The Walking Dead. Chad Coleman, I believe, as well, who played Dennis. He was uh, also in The Walking Dead. D'Angelo Barks, he was also in The Walking Dead. Aiden Gillen, who plays um, Littlefinger from from, um, Game of Thrones, was a good stomping ground. Oh, and of course, um, Pablo Shriver, too. Yeah, it kind of launched a lot of careers, in a sense, or at least made them a little bit more well-known. So there's really no material, not not a lot of material to kind of enrich the show's viewing experience, but I mean, if you're a fan of any of those actors, that alone is going to enrich <laughs> the show's viewing experience because yeah. they're playing characters that you don't typically actually a lot of them are playing characters that they haven't really played since. Idris Elba is a great example. He plays a lot of villains, sure, but he's also played Luther, who is uh, a detective, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of funny to see him on that side of, of things. And of course, people have learned him to be James Bond. Never going to happen at this point. He, he's been great. And Michael B. Jordan, who reunites with The Wire's uh, Avon Barksdale, Wood Harris. Both of them have been in Creed and Creed 2 as well. Since we're in the era of reboots and continuation series, would you want one for The Wire? I would not want to see a reboot of the series in terms of bringing back new actors to play original characters or bringing back original cast members in a modern day scenario. The show did a great job showing the system of criminal justice in Baltimore during the early 2000s. And since it has already highlighted the key systems, such as the war on drugs and how the systems relate to the fight and how it's so flawed, I think it would be futile to try and bring the show back since it was great the way that it is. I would like to see a show that covers a new location with new characters and writers that maintain a level of realism and that the shows created uh, strive to maintain. Maybe something that brings modern day technology like we discussed the beepers and mm-hmm. and burner phones. Has that changed at all? You know, 15 years that followed this series. To follow up on your suggestion in a different location, do you have any locations in mind that you would uh, want to see? Modesto. Not particularly. <laughs> No, 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 no. Just other, you know, highly populated cities like Detroit or something like that, just to see how things, uh, you know, differ. Are things different West Coast versus East Coast or something like that in, 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 in terms of uh, drug trade and, and all that? There are shows that are at least attempting it, but none of them are. They're not trying to be the wire. And that um, to me is a shame <laughs> because we. Yeah. I think it's we're 12 years removed since the series finale. And I think we are due for a show of the same magnitude as the wire, especially with all these different types of streaming services. It's so much more easily accessible. And I think you're right, Tyler. The idea of moving it to the West Coast would be a good idea because it does feel like the West Coast does get forgotten a lot unless it's Los Angeles. It, it feels that way. Yeah, because I think everyone thinks West Coast is Los Angeles or um, San Francisco or San Diego. There are other rural areas on the coast that you could easily examine. But though, I like the idea of Detroit because Detroit has faced a lot of interesting challenges. The collapse of the auto industry, towns that are complete, being completely deserted. And it is 
is where the opium epidemic is kind of hitting those central states that I feel like when I'm thinking about TV shows that take place in this is either like the well-known like capitals or cities like Chicago or their comedies that sort of skirt away from the issues of that of the Midwest or it's Fargo. That's all we really get from the Midwest (laughs) is Fargo, the Connors. And that's all I can think of the top of my head. Of course, there's a chai because the chai takes place in Chicago, but still it's taking place in a well-known location. It'd be nice if they move out to maybe different locations within um, the Midwest. It would be a no brainer for a lot of these streaming services that really need a prestige drama of some kind to take a gamble. And it's surprising no one has yet. Before we move on to the conclusion portion of the show, Tyler, uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't at least attempt to cover some of these other characters because The Wire is just filled with so many colorful characters that if we don't touch on a few of them, it'd just be a little bit of an injustice, right? I mean, (laughs) it's kind of crazy that we barely even touched on Bubbles and Bubbles is one of my absolute favorite characters on the series. I don't know about you. Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, Bubbles, who I believe is portrayed by Andre Royo. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. He does an amazing job at portraying someone that's a hardcore addict and and, and kind of covers his arc in in regards to rehabilitating himself and and, and kind of the hand that he was dealt with and the tragedies that he uh, experiences throughout his his journey on the show. It's very compelling and, and one of the most definitely one of the most emotionally impactful uh, characters in the series yeah absolutely when you when you're with him at his lowest point you're just heartbroken man really tough to watch it really is one of those characters where it's like you feel like you wouldn't feel sorry for a character like this but you you really do feel sorry for him yeah like you really root for him you really hope that he turns that corner and gets help so the arc of that character is just amazing and for a series that doesn't have a whole lot of happy endings for its characters for him to to get there and and boy are there points where you think he's not going to get there it's a really great payoff absolutely just to run through a couple characters from the police organization real quick mcnulty man i would hate to work with a guy like mcnulty because he's like (laughs) he he's he's the guy that you absolutely need but he's also the guy that just kind of just ruins everything (laughs) you can't have nice things because of people like mcnulty let me put it that way (laughs) but you need him around Otherwise, you're not going to get any work done. <laughs> Generally, I always enjoyed seeing him on screen. And I think I think a lot of people, uh, too, when um, I think one of their biggest gripes about season two is there's not enough McNulty. True. <laughs> That's definitely something I, I noticed. And, and, and it kind of bothered me watch, watching season two. But at the same time, it's like it made sense for if them not including that character for that period of time. Oh, God, oh sorry. Sorry. I was going to say in season four as well. Right. We don't see him a lot because I think he's just a patrolman. And he was happy just doing that because he was just sick of the political bullcrap that he had to deal with while being a police detective. Other character that comes to mind is um, I liked how they evolved Roland Przbyluski's character. It's interesting how someone in one, uh, I guess, position in the organization doesn't do very well. But if you put him in as a different role or something and he becomes an actually effective detective, then also the you know, the introduction to his career change that's kind of forced upon him. Um, it was kind of like a pleasant surprise to see how that character evolved towards the uh, later end of the the series and lesser freeman i mean he's just a really cool character if there was a prequel for any of these characters maybe it'd be lesser freeman <laughs> is the one i want to see <laughs> yeah uh but but we we more or less know his entire background and, 
and another character where um, that you mentioned making that career change is uh, uh, Herc. <laughs> you know, but Herc was more forced than uh, you know. Prince Belusky was forced too, but Herc is is tough because it's hard to really like Herc all that much. And 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 he just reminded me actually him and Ellis Carver when uh, they go to the movies together, and then as they're leaving the movie that they saw with their dates, they run into uh, Bodie. It was Herc Carver, and on the other side it was like Bodie and where, oh, uh, maybe maybe Poot was there. Yeah, maybe yeah. Poot was always hanging out with him, and they were like oh shit you guys go to the movies too like normal people <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. and it kind of reminds me of if you go to the grocery store and you run into like a professor or a teacher and you're like oh yeah they're a normal human being who needs groceries to survive <laughs> yeah exactly it's not all shoot them up in the streets and stuff it's like oh hey you're, we're all here we're enjoying this movie and uh, I guess we'll see you later <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah even drug dealers need a day off even cops need a day off you know like yeah that, that was a really funny scene and and the show doesn't get enough credit for its little subtle funny moments you know they, there are times where they go out of the way to be funny like with Stringer Bell and they have like their first organized criminal organization meeting with all the other organizations you know and one of the guys was actually taking minutes and he's like are you writing notes down for a criminal conspiracy <laughs> he just like snaps, smacks the notepad out of his hand <laughs> and it's just funny his explanation because he's like well it's a meeting a meeting these minutes so here are the minutes <laughs> what or as the d would say exhibit a exactly but yeah there's there's all like these random drug dealers who are i swear they get killed off but before they get killed off they're like there for those small comedian moments uh stringer bell is a really interesting character I wanted to bring him up real quick because this is a guy who wanted to legitimize himself. And while in the process of legitimizing himself with like politicians, he winds up getting played just as hard. It's kind of funny because the contrast between Avon and Stringer is that Avon's all about the streets. He knows the streets. He wants to dominate all of that. He wants it to be his. Yeah, and he's Stringer a gangster is, at heart. Exactly. He's a gangster at heart. While Stringer is like, well, I want more than that. I want to be a businessman. I want to be rich. I want to be powerful. You know, I want to make a name for myself. And what it winds up being is that when Stringer's out of his element, he gets played. You know, he, he just thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. That's the funny thing about Stringer. But when he winds up in a room with people who are smarter than him, he winds up getting played by people like Clay Davis, who even told him, look, walk, crawl, then run. He Sometimes you just got to get played a few times before you become the player. And I always thought that was uh, really funny just to see Stringer Bell get taught a lesson because he is... Yeah. Yeah. kind of a smug piece of garbage <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of my other favorite characters is uh um you know cedric daniels and now how, how he kind of is, is worked into the whole show and because he's like he's like a man that respects chain of command but yet the the systems always seems to be working against him and he's kind of caught up in, in everything just trying to make the best of it and, and when he finally plays the game to like going outside of the chain of command to try to get what he wants and then he gets promoted and stuff even even then he still feels dirty for even doing something like that <laughs> Exactly. I just want to point out how at the end of the series, Marlo Stanfield, he actually gets everything Stringer ever wanted, but he winds up turning his back to it because he wants to be the Avon Barksdale of Baltimore. He doesn't want to be the Stringer Bell. Marlo's funny because as Proposition Joe tries to say, we need to civilize this guy. He says it a little more crude than that, but he's like, you know, Marlo is just too wild. He's too toxic. We need to civilize this guy. We need to show him how to launder his own money. We need to show him how to lawyer up. Proposition Joe just so much for Marlo because Marlo just doesn't 
have that support system. It's just kind of interesting to see all of that develop. And, and then when he finally gets to a point where he should be happy that he's going to be able to be like this businessman and be rich and even may, could be even famous that way, really make a name for himself. He turns his back to it. This just kind of always fascinates me. So who do you recommend this show for? I think it, I would recommend this show to anyone that wants a, a show that's going to challenge your viewing experience uh, with a, an intricate story uh, that deviates from the classic cop show. Um, also a show that beautifully depicts our society's issues at large and in an emotionally impactful way. I think The, the Wire is a show for, for someone who's interested in, in that sort of thing. Is there a similar show or franchise that after watching The Wire someone else could enjoy? There's been shows that I've seen that kind of relate to how I, I think they try to be The Wire but they fail epically so I wouldn't really want to, to recommend anything like that but yeah I mean The Wire it's one of those shows where it's, it's kind of uh, it's such a masterpiece that in that, as we've covered before that it's, it's it's quite the gamble to challenge try to make something that's to its caliber when taking a lot of its elements yeah I can't really think of anything else other than maybe The Sopranos. Did you ever make time for Boardwalk Empire? No I've, I've heard about it but I, I have not had the chance to watch that. I'm just curious if that was one because I, ha- I actually haven't seen any of The Sopranos so I can't comment on um, mm-hmm. on the series much but Boardwalk Empire I know Steve Buscemi's main character is a politician I believe but he's also I think part of some criminal organization in the background and and you do get Al Capone later in the series and everything so I was wondering uh, I was curious if you happen to have seen it if Boardwalk Empire would be something that could be more connected to The Wire before we move on I, I one show that did come to mind I, I can't believe I forgot about it until just now but the Fargo series produced by FX definitely good show to watch especially if you like covering the sides of both the crime side versus the police side all the seasons that have been released so far I think there's been three in there about to release four well yeah the back and forth between you know how crime like for example season two I think there's the Gerhardt crime family and how, what they're doing and what their motives are versus you know how the police are reacting to you know what's going on and the people that get intertwined in that that's a that's a good show to watch if you're interested in that sort of uh, storytelling Fargo is the perfect one uh-huh. it gets a little weird it gets a little Noah Holly I like to call it the Noah Hollyisms. Yep. Uh, like if you watch Legion mm-hmm. it gets way too caught up in itself Fargo it does heaters that line quite a bit especially in season three sometimes I felt like it was paying too much homage to the film no it's still overall just a fantastic series and season one and two especially are just world-class like if you watch season one you have to immediately start season two because they actually tie in together 100% agree with you they show both sides really well some people like to call it copaganda uh, which is a term used to describe series that portray police shows in a great light how they're there are heroes and they don't do anything mm-hmm. bad yada 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 but i wouldn't really go that far with fargo i, yeah, I don't I would. necessarily no. consider it pop. though that is a real thing and we should all recognize it <laughs> um a show that maybe mentioned people that doesn't follow that propaganda trend as the shield the shield's a good one especially if you like mcnulty then um, Michael Chiklis' character would be a nice sort of entry point into that seven-season series. Also, Treme, also by David Simon, is a great sort of equivalent in terms of talking about all of the different elements that goes into the bank above a city. It follows that particular neighborhood in New Orleans, like three months after Hurricane Katrina and how they're trying to rebuild that community. Also, another HBO show or miniseries, The Night Of, I think would be 
be a nice little comparison between where you sort of examination, how police work works, and then how certain circumstances put you in those situations that sort of collide in a horrific manner. Michael K. Williams in uh, The Night Of as well. There's your uh, connection to The Wire. Yeah, I mean, give it up for FX, right? FX is, they got some great programming between Fargo and The Shield. And, and Justified is also a very, very good yeah, series. Yeah, I was uh, going to mention Justified as well. Yeah, Justified is great because you get to see the U.S. Marshals at work, but you also thoroughly get everything you need to see about these criminal organizations between the rise and fall and rise again of Boyd Crowder and also in season two with uh, Margot Martindale. She's basically a drug lord. Like <laughs> She's like a, one of the drug lords of Harlem County. And she has these three sons, uh, one son, the eldest, he's like a police sheriff and her other two sons are just kind of like lackeys pretty much. But I mean, they're very, very dangerous people and they have a shared history with, with the main character, Raylan Givens, played by Timothy Oliphant. It's a great show. Tyler, I don't know if you've seen Justified, but I think you really like it, actually. Yeah, I would. So I, I caught Justified probably halfway through. I think I stopped. I never got to the finale. I, I, did, I purposely didn't watch it because I wanted to watch the whole thing in its entirety someday. You know, enjoy the, the payoff at the end if mm-hmm. there is one. Um, so that's definitely a show I want to revisit at some point. Yeah, it's a show I always tell myself I'm going to rewatch and I'm just having a hard time making time to do it because yeah. it's yeah, it's an excellent, excellent show. Not Copaganda. We should just start our own podcast called Copaganda. <laughs> or, or, right? Is it is it Copaganda? <laughs> Boy, the hate we would get. We, we'd yeah, be done. No, we're we'd not. Be done. So I was also going to mention um, something a little bit lighter. The Closer with Kara Cedric. Also a McNulty-type character in the lead where she sort of bends the rules in order to get her convictions. She plays a lot of dirty tricks and is always going up against J.K. Simmons' character on that show. Because she's trying to get a confession. He's trying to make sure that she doesn't violate any of the um, suspect's rights in order to get that confession. If you find um, the wire being too heavy, I think the closer could be a nice alternative as a little bit of a palate cleanser, maybe in between episodes of the wire. But yeah, those are sort of my few recommendations. And we should just say any of David Simon's show, you should check out like oh. Homicide, Life on the Street, The Corner, Generation Kill, Show Me a Hero, The Deuce, The Plot Against America. All of these have been critically, highly acclaimed television mm-hmm. shows that, from what I understand, are going to get a lot out of if you give them a shot. We made it. We talked about The Wire to the best of our uh, capabilities. It's a tough show. Like th- This is one of those shows where it's like it deserves its own podcast. And there are podcasts out there that talk mm-hmm. about The Wire. We're just fanboying over it. You know, We're just trying to do our, our absolute best here. Yeah, Tyler, uh, I want to thank you for joining us. Of course, we're going to have you back at some point down the road, right? Yeah, absolutely. Good, because we already pen you in for season two. So (laughs) (laughs) it's too late now. You signed up your firstborn. (laughs) You're not getting out of this. It's always a pleasure. Stay tuned for our final thoughts and mailbag. Welcome to our final thoughts. Romeo, The Wire. It's quite the show. It was a lot of fun to talk about. I think this was a really good show in terms of we spent a lot of time talking about all the different characters, also discussing the city of Baltimore as a whole, how it's basically like a character in itself. I think one of the best things a show can do that center on particular city that they try to accurately portray um, not only the things that make that city shine, but all the issues within that city. So it isn't this glamour 
glamorization or set the city to this ideal, but really talk about the people that live there. And I think this show went above and beyond with Baltimore. I mean, a lot of the background characters are the people that live within Baltimore, which gave it a sense of realism that still holds true to today. Absolutely. And the themes that it represents in this show, we have to remind ourselves how it came out in 2002, but it still feels just as relevant today as it did 18 years ago. We talked a little bit about how it's always going to be difficult to weed out all the corruption, not just in the police system, but also in the education system and in the political system, like in the mayoral offices. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can go in uncompromised, but it's almost impossible to do your job and try to do it well uncompromised. And I mentioned in this how I said you can try to get rid of all the corrupt cops, but over time, there's just going to be more corrupt cops again. With everything that's happened over the last few months, not only with the presidency and with the police reform outcry, do you think that people can watch this show and at least try to understand how it's not as easy as good versus evil. There's so much gray area in all of these systems that it's almost impossible to get results that everybody can be happy with. All right. So I want to first commend Ed Burns and uh, David Simon, all the writers and the producers on the show, because they were in a sense on the forefront of this conversation. I mean, let's be real here. They were talking about a lot of the issues, the systemic racism and bias that goes into a lot of these um, systems within the city or departments within a city before a lot of us were talking about it. Rather, mainstream America, because these conversations were happening in a lot of these communities, but no one was listening. And I think this show, in a sense, made more people aware, but they were the first to really talk about it in a nuanced way, bringing up how it's not just the police, it's the inherent poverty, um, the education system, the politics behind in particular cities that go into this larger thing. Because it's not just one area, it's systemic throughout the whole ecosystem of our country. But then at the same time, you also have to look at it, take a look at shows that take place before these conversations that we're having. You need to have carry two thoughts at the same time, where you have to realize this show took place before and look at it as what it was reflecting at the time. But at the same time, we can't excuse what's happening. Yes, it's unacceptable. You can't just cancel art because it doesn't live up to the standards of today. Mm-hmm. I think you can learn from what you've seen. And Hollywood's grappling with this. I mean, there are a lot of TV shows that are in production that deal with law enforcement that are struggling with how do we present law enforcement in a way that reflects what's going on in America today. The most recent example is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is a sitcom. They threw out their entire scripts and now they're working on it and figuring out, okay, so how how do we go from here? How do we be more sensitive? I guess sensitive is not the quite word I want to use, but going forward. How do we address all these issues? And think about it, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a comedy. They're not as more gritty as your Law and Order, but there is a discussion in writer's room 
terms. So it is difficult. I think as writers, they're navigating it as best they can and they're going to stumble. Does it mean that we need to go after them with pitchforks? No, it's a learning curve. We're all trying to navigate this new world and figure out what's the best approach going for in terms of entertainment, yeah. portraying law enforcement. Couldn't say any better myself. Uh, it was great to have Tyler on. Tyler obviously has a lot of love for the show. We're definitely going to make sure we get Tyler back again. We already have a show in mind with him, uh -huh. so he will be back for season two, and we're not going to tell you what that show is until we're ready to announce season two. <laughs> Tyler's just a great guest. I mean, he's really good at picking up those nuanced things that you or I might have accidentally overlooked, and, we're, and he able to bring up interesting points, and I can't say nicer things to Tyler and how grateful I am that he decided to do a little dog and pony show. And it's a testament to the show that is able to provide such nuance for us to discuss because the show like The Wire, it gave us the opportunity to really tapping into those smaller details that The Wire is so good in having. The show demands our attention when you're watching it. And then when you're talking about it, it demands a more introspective discussion than we would normally get. You need to pick up on things that are being said and also aren't being said. And, it, and I really do think that anybody can watch this show. I still firmly believe that. Would some people find certain parts boring? Sure, not everything is going to be from front to back entertaining. But the overall experience of watching watching this show is so rewarding for the intellectual to the average television viewer or to someone who doesn't even like television. There's something for everybody with the show. I still firmly believe that. And if anybody ever needs to pick up a show during these down times of quarantine, it's The Wire. It's The Wire, especially with everything going on in the outside world like you just talked about. The Wire is perfect. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's also a good show to watch with younger people. Not too young. I would say like teenage age teenagers can handle uh -huh. the content that are in the show and have discussions with your kids about it. There's not a lot of shows like that. There's always more I can say about The Wire, but the fact of the matter is I can't just sit here and do impressions of characters on the show all day. I, I can't just keep gushing over this character or, or this plot detail. You know, it, uh -huh. we, we got to move on. We got to wrap up the show. So next up we got here are just the corrections. We weren't entirely sure how many characters Omar was based off of. Now there's one person that the character gets based off of when you search it online and that's Donnie Andrews but David Simon has said that Omar is based on not just Donnie Andrews but Shorty Boyd, Ferdinand Harvin and Anthony Hawley, Baltimore stick-up men between the 1980s and early 2000s who robbed drug dealers. I mean when you do research as a writer you pull from different things mm -hmm. it makes complete sense that it isn't a set person because then it'll be a biopic and that's not what they wanted to do for this show. Now it's time for us to wrap up the show here. Time to tell you guys where to find us. You can find us on Instagram at Binge Essentials. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Binge Essentials. Now, what if you want to reach us? Do that through our social media, but you can also do it on our official email, which is bingeessentials at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at David Rocha Binge. You can find me on Twitter at David Rocha Radio. Still haven't gotten around to changing it to David Rocha Binge. I don't know why. 
I'm on Twitter every single night looking up new news about the election. Rate us wherever you find this podcast, but especially if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and don't be afraid to leave a review. That would help us a lot in the algorithms. It would be a great, great appreciation. And hey guys, just always reach us regardless because we will name drop you on the show. We did it on our second episode. So we are very appreciated with anything you guys have to say to us, good or bad. If the bad is bad, please be constructive about it. If you want to reach Romeo, do it on the email or any of the social media pages. Time to announce next week's episode. Next week is Breaking Bad with Forcing Spike's Chris Dunn. Oh boy, Chris Dunn was on the show earlier this season doing Mad Men. Now we're moving on to the other AMC juggernauts, Breaking Bad. Be sure to listen to that when it drops next Thursday. With all that being said, I want to thank you guys for listening to another installment of Bench Essentials. See you guys next week.